All right. Let's get rolling. We're going to continue where we left off last week as we've been introducing some of these newer ideas. But before I do that, I almost forgot, and luckily there's always somebody to remind me, but it, there is a birthday today. This is the reminder right here. See that look? I don't know how y'all, I don't know how y'all deal with that. Like, that's sass right there. But it is Kayla's birthday, and so uh, Derek wanted to stand up and sing to her. So... Go ahead and stand up, Derek. No, Derek, stand up, would you please? It'd be a lot funnier if you didn't, though, just so you know. This is her last year in her 20s. So now she's going to join the old folk group with the rest of us next year. She feels like it now. Yeah, she, it's all downhill after 25. You're right. Well, until you sneeze and throw out your back, you don't know old. So anyway, but let's, let's pick up where we left off. We've been looking at this series of In His Image. It's piggybacking off of what we were at. And we started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And as I showed you guys, is that in the language here, it's not talking about that God looks like us, but this is a role that God has placed mankind in. Man was intended to have authority on the earth, to be God's representative on this earth. He tells him in Genesis 2 to expand the garden. The garden was planted eastward in Eden. His job was to tend to keep it and to spread it out, to be fruitful, which means useful, and multiply. We've got half of that right anyway. And so what we've got to do is we're looking at this from God's standpoint. What did God intend for man to do? He intended for man to be his representative on this earth and to rule and reign as that. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, we see, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called them to the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel." So what we see is when man's sin handed over that authority, but God raises up a nation this time, this nation was to represent him. This nation was what he would bring forth Messiah through, and that this nation was supposed to be an example to all the world of those who feared God. And they were. He said, if you do what I command, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. What do you want to do? They agreed to the terms. They took the terms. They broke the terms. Right? It's like the fine print or something. I don't know. But the thing was, is that this nation was intended. And as a part of that covenant, in Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And as I told you, this is not about using God's name in a cuss word. 
It was that they were taking on the name Yahweh as his representative. And therefore, don't take that lightly. Don't call yourself my follower and then act like every other nation. When they went to other lands, they were not supposed to worship the other gods. They were not supposed to take wives from foreign lands. They were not supposed to do a bunch of stuff because they were to be separated. You know what we call that? Holy. Holy means to be separated apart from. So we had man and Adam who sinned and lost their glory. You've got Israel who was then taking his place, if you will. And they were representing God. And then they, in one sense, lost his glory. And then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. This is referring to Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He, being Jesus, is the image representative of the invisible God. In other words, he now has taken the place that man once held, comes as a man and represents God once again on this earth. The difference was, instead of sinning, he got it right. He was perfect. And so as we begin to put these pieces together, we see that man created in God's image, as God's representative, broke God's laws. His authority is handed over to the enemy, and then later Jesus comes as God's image, or as it says, comes as a man wrongfully put to death because he did not sin. The wages of sin is death. He did not sin. He defeats death through his resurrection to restore man to himself and reinstate his authority once again. Got it? Good. That's all we got to do. Let's go home. But what do we do with this information? You see, what we've turned the Bible into is a chicken soup for the soul. We've turned God's Word into something that just brings inspiration. We don't need any more inspiration. What we need is truth. And we've got to get back to what God has said. And what God expects. And what God wanted. As a result of what Jesus has done in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, over every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus, his name was given by God, is now placed at the right hand above everything that is named. That's all the things. There's nothing that is not named. All things are named. And so he has now got that authority and it was to what? The church, which is his body. That's you and I. That's every true born-again believer is a part of the church, the body of Christ. It doesn't have to be this church, can be a different church, but you must be born again. You don't get it by going to church. You become the church by going to Christ. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his glory, of his grace, and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The head and the body are united together, seated at the right hand. Obviously, spiritually, because we're still here. We're not walking around decapitated. That'd be weird. Be a little funny. But it's not the point. The truth of the matter is, is we are connected to the head. That is the authority. That is where the name is. And with that name, we have been given a mandate. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The commandment was, Because I go to my Father, you therefore will go as a result of this, and you will baptize them in the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To make a disciple. What's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who's associated with the teacher. They're known for this association. It, it, it affects their speech and their actions. You can pick up on groups and people based off what they say, based off what they do. That's how you know them. There were groups all over. We talked about the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Essenes. We've gone through a bunch of sects of Judaism that was going on there. And they were all associated with their different belief system or the leader who which founded them. And in this case, we've been looking at the term Christian. And Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. Twice in Acts, once in 1 Peter. We're not going to look at that. But there was a reason of this association. There was a reason that they were there. There was a reason that they were called the followers. They were known as followers of the way. The term Christian was a derogatory term. It was something that was given to them because there was something so unique about them. Something so different about them that seemed to separate them from every other sect of Judaism at that time as well as those who were worshiping other gods. There was something about them that was different. You and I need to discover what that is. Now when I talk about this, doesn't matter what church I preach something like this in, every single time your mind goes to this passage. Okay? John chapter 13 verse 31 tells you what separates a follower, a disciple of Christ from a non-follower is this. So, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When I talk about what separates a disciple of Christ from anything else, this is where a person's mind goes. Because we live in a culture and a generation that all they want to talk about is love and acceptance and embracing. But we've got to dig into this a little bit, which we're not going to spend a ton of time here. Because I'm going to show you exactly what separated it says that you have love for one another. Now, what does that mean? Who is the one another? The disciples. He's telling his disciples, they will know that you are my followers if you have love for not the world. Not the things of the world. Love for one another. 
Now, we would have to drill into what that means and what love is, but that's not the point of the day to really drill into this. But Jesus wasn't telling us that we just have to go on just loving everybody. He says his disciples, the church. He doesn't say that you will know your Christians by the attending of church. You'll, they'll know your Christian by how much money you give. She's love for one another. Not even calling yourself a Christian. See, remember that passage where it says you should not take the Lord's name in vain. We have a lot of that going on. Because we have things that are called Christian that are not. Because Christian simply means a follower of Christ. That is exactly what it was then. That's exactly what it is now. And you calling yourself one doesn't make you one. No more than standing in your garage calling yourself a car makes you a car. You can call yourself whatever you want, but it doesn't make it true. So we've got to drill in. What separated the disciples of Christ then is the same thing that would separate them today. But what was it? Was it their love for one another? Yes, but we'll get into that later. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, we're going to look at this. What separated Jesus? Realize Jesus was a man. He lived on this earth. He was a wise teacher. He was a rabbi. But what separated him from all the other wise teachers, rabbis, all these other people that are going on? There were tons of them. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says, Men of Israel, this is right after the uh, Holy Spirit comes upon the, the disciples. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. What separated Jesus from every other wise teacher? Miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him. You see, that's what made Jesus stand out. Jesus walking around teaching was in a large group of people that walked around teaching. There was a, a, a whole uh, uh, industry of that type of thing. When we see Paul going into the temple or the, the different synagogues showing up, they, they allowed these guys, these traveling teachers, I guess, whatever you want to call them, they would show up and they would teach. That's why Paul was given the platform. It was not uncommon. Jesus would have fell into that crowd, would not have stood out in any way. There's a reason that there were Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, Herodians, and all the other ones that were out there is because they had teachers that were going around and teaching, and they were accepted. Hey, I can deal with that. You're a little different. I'm a little different. No big deal. Jesus would have fallen into that group, but what separated him? Miracles, wonders, signs that God did through him. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus did it because he was God. No, no, no. He was on earth as a man. He was all God, all man. Don't, we're not going to get off into the minutia of that. See, in John chapter 14, Jesus says something. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what did he just tell his disciples? All those things that I did that separated me from the pack, you will also do. And you're going to do greater than these. Well, is it greater than num in number or is it greater in, in magnificence? Who cares? I'll take either one. But you will do these things. And what will that, by, uh, by doing that, what will that do? It will separate them. Now, I'm giving you a theory. Let's kind of vet this out. 
let's see how this plays out. Because what we should do is say, okay, were the disciples doing the works that Jesus did? Now, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that they were. But what was the result of those actions? What you're going to see as we go through this, it wasn't just the words that they were saying that got their attention. It was the actions that were being done. Let's look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at just a few passages today. But we'll build upon this as we go. Verse 1, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter. And John went up together to the temple of the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, it was on the east side, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now let's stop for a moment. I want you to picture this. Dude gets set there. He's asking for money. Okay? Imagine walking down the street of the city. Okay? People are, got their cup out. I'll tell you a funny story that happened. We were at a football game in Lincoln, Nebraska, okay, where Jesus is on Saturdays. He's here on Sunday, but he's there on Saturdays. Actually, I'm questioning that anymore. I don't know if I can say it the way it's been, but regardless. And as we were, every time you're there, if you've ever gone to any sporting event, you will see there are always people that are asking for money, looking for help. And maybe they're legit, maybe they're not. I don't know, but it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. About two blocks before you're from the stadium, there was this vendor set up, and they were handing out the fake beef jerky, like the vegan beef jerky, handing out bags, everybody as they walked by. Get to the next block, there's a homeless man sitting there asking for money with hundreds, if not thousands, of packages of vegan beef jerky sitting around him. I've never seen a man look more sad in all my life. But it was spectacular. Beyond Meat's marketing department needs to rethink their strategy just a hair. So he's there not looking for anything but money. How many people do you think he asked before Peter and John got there? We don't know. Likely hundreds, right? This is the hour of prayer. Think about the wailing wall and what they do at the hour of prayer now. You see all those? It would have been even more than anything like that. So here they are. Peter's about to go in the temple. He's asking them for money. Peter says, look at us. Verse 5. So he gave them his attention. What was he expecting? To receive something from them. Anything. A quarter. Something. Give me something. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now look at this now. This is Peter, okay? He's the dude that denied Jesus not that many days ago. And here he is, the man's looking for money. He didn't have faith for healing. He didn't know Peter from the man in the moon. All he was looking for was a little bit of a handout. And Peter did the works of Christ. So, as a result of that, him declaring, you rise up and walk. In what name? Was Jesus' name given to him by the Father? Yes. Think about that. What did the angel? You will name him. The angel told him. That name was given to him. His name's upon him. That name is upon Peter. It's on us. So did Peter take the Lord's name in vain at this point? No, he's representing him. He's standing up for him. And what happens? People see this guy and wonder and amazement. 
a man attested you by wonders, signs, and miracles. Let's go on, verse 11. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. So they're big, big, big area. I should have put a picture up of this. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name... Through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Whose name? The name given by God. The name above every name. The name given to Peter. It's his name. You see, you've got to understand something. Disciples, when they were taught, would go and break disciples for themselves. They would become a teacher. You see this in other parts. You are, by now ought to have been teachers. But I must give you, it's in 1 Corinthians, I must give you the, the elements, the basics. You see, it's intended for all of us to be disciples makers and become teachers. And therefore we bring disciples unto ourselves. But this is the only group who made disciples of somebody else. Peter didn't say, look what I've done. He said, look what he did. That man who you delivered, who you killed, that Pilate wanted to let go and you refused, he did that. It's his name. Verse 17. You now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did all your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, and that Christ would suffer, and he was, has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. What covenant is he referencing? The one that separated Israel to be the representative of God. Those prophets were among them. They were the mouthpiece of God, chapter 4, verse 1. And now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men that came, uh, came to be about 5,000. Now, I'm going to stop for that part there, but understand, what got the attention? The same thing that got the attention to Jesus. You know, if Jesus went around being a wise teacher, they wouldn't have killed him. Had no need to, right? All right, you guys are the way. You just, you're just like the Herodians, the Essenes. You're the way. No big deal. No, it was the signs and wonders. Why did they try to have Lazarus killed? Why did they bribe the guards to say, okay, tell me you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body? It's not a matter of what was true. It was a matter of what they wanted to be true, to maintain a narrative, maintain control. But what got the attention? The signs, the ones, the miracles. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. 
verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So we're in the same spot. There's a whole lot of stuff that's taking place in between here. They were dealing with the, uh, uh, the, I guess, the trial or whatever you want to call it. Verse 14, believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. What are they doing? Same thing that Jesus did. They're representing him. They're not taking his name in vain. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison at night. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. The high priest and those who came with them called the council together with all the elders, the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Well, why did they imprison them? What got the attention of all the people? The signs, wonders, and miracles. It wasn't necessarily the words they were saying. It was the words they were demonstrating. That was the difference. Let's look at Acts chapter 6. Verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And in the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. But we, uh, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now look what's happening here. Now, I mean, the the, the church is growing because every day they are out preaching the word. Now, was everybody called to be a pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, apostle? No, of course not. But what was everybody doing? Out preaching the word. And now... It's getting so big, and we've got so many people here. It's like, okay, we need some help. You know, the apostles were doing what God had told them to do in the teaching of the Word. So we need some help taking care of the business aspects of it. And so they appointed seven guys and put them over it. And these were just men. What was so special about this men? Well, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit and faith, wisdom, right? Okay? Were there only seven qualified? Probably not. But as a result of all of this, the Word of God continued to spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Well, why was that happening? Because all of the signs, the wonders, and miracles. But look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those who were Cilician in Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, is that a true statement? No, he didn't. Why would he? What got their attention? The great wonders, the great signs among the people. They come disputing with Stephen. These were another sect, the synagogue of the freedmen, another sect of Judaism with some oddball beliefs. But no matter what they did, they couldn't resist what he was saying. They couldn't resist his wisdom, the spirit by which he spoke. But what got their attention? Signs and wonders. So as a result of that, they bring this accusation. In verse 12, they stirred up the people. 
the elders, the scribes, they came upon him, seized him, and brought him into the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. That's referring to the temple. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Now let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this. I'm just giving you three quick examples here. Okay, we're going to build upon this. But we talk about Jesus. And what do we talk about? His love with which he loved us. Now while we were still sinners, he came and died a death for you and I. Those are all true statements. He gave a commandment to his disciples that you love one another. Now, we will drill into that here over the next couple of weeks a little bit of what that actually means. Because just because a word is utilized today doesn't mean it's what it meant back when it was written. We have to go back and begin to look at that. But the question comes back to you, was Jesus known for his love? Think about that. No. He wasn't known for his love. What, what was he known? A man attested by God to you through wonders, miracles, and signs. So what do you think his followers would do? Exact same thing. When did that change? I don't know either. You see, we've been so focused on the love of God and spreading his love. We forgot about all the works that he did. We'll build upon this next week. But I want you thinking about that. What does it mean when he says, love one another as I have loved you? And what example was left behind for his disciples and the disciples of his disciples? and the disciples of his disciples' disciples. I don't need to keep going. Just be thinking about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that you have given it to us and kept it for us. Lord, that in all things that we are made whole by it. That it is what leads and guides us. And in it is we find your truth. And so, Lord, I just thank you for doors of opportunity being open for us each and every day. Lord, that we can live our lives to the fullest for you. That you are glorified through every word we speak and every action we take, Lord. That we truly are your image bearer on this earth. So, Lord, I thank you for all opportunities that you give us. And that you are glorified in each and every part of our lives. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.